Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! Hi, everybody. Mark Lawrence once again, along with Victor King, and we're all set to go against the spread on this weekend's NFL championship round football games. And, Victor, if you can believe it, two weekends of football are left for us to enjoy. The championship games this weekend and the Super Bowl in two weeks. Where did the season go? You know, the, uh, the letdown has already started with only three football games left. Of course, we're not going to count the... Uh, uh, Pro Bowl with the flag football and all that. But again, you're right. Absolutely. The letdown has begun with just the championship games this weekend. And it looks like a couple of like heavyweight uh, boxing matches on Sunday. That's for sure. And of course, the Super Bowl coming up in a couple of weeks, Mark, uh, for the first time in the wild card era. And we're dating all the way back to 1990. All four of the division round games last weekend Ended up going under the total. And again, right. that is a first first time in 30 years that all four of them did. The weird thing, of course, is that was following a wild card weekend in which there were five overs and only one game under the total. So breaking it down, we're at five and five over under in the playoffs. Thus far, it's making it very difficult to look forward into this uh, NFC and AFC championship round. But again, all four games under the total, kind of weird. Of course, a couple of surprising results last weekend. Obviously, Philadelphia's margin of win against the New York Giants, a little bit surprising in that particular game. And for me, Mark, obviously the most surprising thing was the dynamic Buffalo Bills team and how they got completely dominated by Cincinnati at home, losing 27-10. to 10. And for many... You know, the writing was kind of on the wall in regards to the Buffalo Bills. We say goodbye to them for this season. Number one, Mark, I think Buffalo is a team that, at least on the offensive side of things, this team should be playing in a dome, if you ask me. The amount of weapons they have on offense, this is a team that's built for the fast track. And uh, again, to fully maximize Buffalo's potential on offense, this is a team that really should be playing their home games in a domed stadium. But again, writing on the wall, Mark, you know, when Buffalo lost, uh, who was it, Von Miller, halfway through the season for the rest of the year, you saw their defensive numbers go up significantly in the second half. They really, really missed him on defense. But second, you know, that elbow injury that Josh Allen suffered in week nine against the New York Jets, apparently... He never got over that injury. You saw him falter, particularly in the last four weeks of play, with more turnovers than normal. And again, he never really got over that elbow injury that he suffered against the Jets way back in week nine. Yeah, great points, Victor. Uh, he certainly didn't look like the Josh Allen we saw the first half of the football season when, in fact, he was the leader, arguably, for the MVP race. It was him, Patrick Mahomes, maybe uh, Jalen Hurts playing his way into the talk as well. 
but no Josh Allen by the end of the football season, and it left the Buffalo fans deeply disappointed that loss. Uh, they kind of over-relied, if you will, in a sense, on Josh Allen in the football game last week, whereas Cincinnati had a masterful game plan in that football game, and Joe Burrow just executed just about, about as, as good of a performance as I've seen in the National Football League playoffs. He had all the makings looking like a young if you will, Joe Montana, cool as a cucumber, just delivering the ball spot on almost every pass. It was methodical. It was almost like he he was uh, hitting batting practice, if you will, just uh, hit after hit after hit, pass after pass after pass. And a tip of the hat to him. I thought that was the best performance I've seen from him, maybe perhaps in his career. Uh, taking a look backwards, uh, what we're going to do on the show here before we get to there, Victor, is instead of tearing down a game or two in particular, we're going to tear apart how teams and what they bring to the table in these conference championship games this year. Some of the good, the bad, the ugly parts of it. Victor's going to talk about the total side, the proposition sides of the games. I'm going to tear down the team trends and their stats and see how that all evolves. But before we get there, uh, one thing I, I notice here, Victor, we've got one game playing on this weekend's card that involves, again, same season revenge. We opened up the playoffs this year with all six games in the wild card when every one of the visiting teams had same season revenge. We've got one team playing this weekend. That's obviously Kansas City against Cincinnati. And it's uh, it's a really timely revenge, if you will. Not only did they lose uh, in the championship game last year, they've lost three straight in the course of 13 months to this football team, all by three-point margins and all as favorites. Uh, interestingly, teams that played with same season revenge in the postseason this year, they went five and three against the spread. So they held their weight. The same season revengers did thus far this football season. And one other note I've got, Victor, before I move it over there, or I'll pass it over to you, is the thing I noticed in the NFL football playoffs this year, which kind of jumps off the stats and it's more of a midweek type thing out of our midweek alert statistical newsletter is that teams who won the rushing yards in the playoff games so far this year, have won every football game. And they've covered the spread eight of those nine times. Nine and oh straight up, eight and one against the spread. There was one game where Kansas City and Jacksonville dead even rushed 144 yards apiece. So basically, you, you control the running game, you're going to control your, your chance at your destiny in winning football games. And I'm going to talk a little bit about more about that when we break these games down. Anything else you might have to add, Victor, before we get to our teardown of the championship round? No, Mark, I'm ready. Uh mention a game we've got over under numbers team trends we can cover some of the referee stats just about anything you like okay cool well, let me kick it off here and say this that uh this will be only the seventh time in national football league history that the same two teams will meet in the championship round of the playoffs after meeting in the championship round of the playoffs last year uh, we're gonna, i'm talking about cincinnati and kansas city who i alluded to earlier the last time that's happened coming backwards back again uh, was when Baltimore played New England in 2011 and 2012 back-to-back -back games. This is a rare occurrence that we have on tap in the football games this year. This is also the first time since the mid-1970s you have to go back to find two teams in the championship games that are on 10 or more game win streaks. Two of them, both San Francisco and Cincinnati. So they're both bringing a lot to the table in this football game. This is a rather unique NFL championship round uh, I'm going to, uh, be, before I hand it over to you, Victor, I've got some team trends I'll talk about, I'll say before, after you get finished, I'm going to talk about some team trends here, but until then, I'd like to know what you have to say about either totals or propositions in this championship round. 
Well, Mark, uh, do you want to talk about the early game first, the uh, Niners-Eagles, or would you rather hit the uh, night game? Well, let's. I guess maybe let's do it in. Uh, let's let's do it in the in the order that they're they're going to play the games. Okay, uh, you know we'll, we'll do the uh, the Niners and the Eagles in the early game, and then we'll wrap it up with the late the late game. So I'm taking the Philadelphia Victor, where the ball is going to kick in the air in Philadelphia between San Francisco and Philadelphia. And what have you got? Obviously, you know which way the uh, public is going in this game. The public tends to have very short memories. They tend to gear their wagers primarily on what just happened last week. We call it the knee-jerk reaction, if you will. And, of course, with Cincinnati off that dominating win and the Philadelphia Eagles winning by, what, uh, four or more touchdowns at home, they're getting all the action this week. We're seeing 75 to 80% of all tickets and all money on what are now both favorites in the game. And that's Cincinnati, of course, as the short road favorite in the night game. But in this afternoon game, Philadelphia, somewhere around two and a half right now. And again, they are getting all the action. We've got a rookie quarterback in this game. Brock Purdy will be the fifth rookie quarterback to start a conference championship game. The previous four ended up going 0-4 straight up with four passing touchdowns and nine interceptions. Of course, there's also a history in this game, if you will. Brock Purdy has actually faced Jalen Hurts once before. Now, that was way back in college when both were playing on Big 12 teams, Brock Purdy for Iowa State and Jalen Hurts for Oklahoma. But again, they did play each other in that game back in 2019. It was a 42 to 41 thriller. Oh. Oklahoma won, but did not cover as 14 point home favorites in that particular game. But both quarterbacks looked very, very good. Purdy, five touchdowns in that game, uh, including one on the ground, six total TDs. Jalen Hurts, five total TDs. Uh, what does that uh, have to do with this week's particular game? Not too much, but interesting nevertheless. These two do have a one-game history against each other. Of course, uh, Mark Bay expound on this, but Kyle Shanahan is the third most profitable coach in the playoffs over the last 20 years with a 7-1 and one ATS record. And with an ATS win this week, he would be the second best behind Tom Coughlin, who's gone 9-2 and two ATS, Doug Peterson 7-1. and one. Again, Kyle Shanahan 7-1 and one as well. And then finally, John Harbaugh of the Colts, 13-7 and seven, uh, ATS. In regards to the uh, 49ers, uh, we've got the fact that they are on that massive 10-game winning streak. Uh, we've got the fact that they, they have got multiple weapons on offense in this particular game. And, Mark, I'm going to take it down, if I can, real quick to the uh, uh, referee in this particular game. Let me head down here. There we go. Now, hey, I'm a referee guy, whether it is basketball, Mark, whether it is baseball, whether it is the NFL. Do we totally base our over-under numbers on the referee? No, but any extra information we can get in regards to the head referee in an NFL game, uh, we would definitely uh, listen to those stats, and that's for sure. And in this particular game, They've announced uh, that John Hussey will be the referee in the game. 
Uh, he is a very good under referee, 10 and 6 to the season, 10 unders, uh, 6 overs. In his career, he is a 57 and 72, right around 56% under the total for John Hussey. Uh, since 2015, he's actually the second most profitable referee to the under, behind just Bill Vinovich, who refereed the 49ers-Cowboys game last week, a game that also went under the total. So in his career, a very good under-referee for John Hussey. With that said, I'll say this, Mark, he's refereed six playoff games in his career. They've gone three and three over under. The first three went under, but each of the last three games ended up going over the total. That's where we are in regards to John Hussey. And also, Mark, in the NFC Championship game, uh, it's been a little higher scoring than the AFC Championship game, particularly over the last 10 years. Uh, here's my numbers out of the database. The NFC Championship game has actually gone 12-4-1 to the over. That's 75% over the total in the last 17 years. Over the last 10 seasons, they've gone seven overs, two unders, one tie, an average of 52.6 combined points per game. And in fact, in non-division play, the NFC Championship has actually gone seven overs, eight unders in the last eight appearances with an average of 54.9 points per game. I mean, statistically, heck, you've got, what, the uh, number one against the number two defense in this particular game. But we're not going to discount the fact that we've got a number three offense in Philadelphia take on a, a number five offense in San Francisco as well. The database is suggesting perhaps we may look at the over in this particular game. But statistically, Mark, the numbers say consider the under. And, of course, the referee as well uh, actually suggests to also consider the under. That's where we're at right now. Uh, again, uh, I've got uh, multiple situations out of the database that do suggest we may see more than 46 to 46 and a half points. But with that said, statistically, it's really, really tough to pull the trigger on the over in this game. Yeah, it sure is, Victor. Whenever you pair up number one and number two defenses, it had always been my adage that, you know, one of the two could bust and the game could still stay under. Uh, you have to almost get both defenses to bust for a total to go under. You're talking, what, 45 and a half points in a game like this? So it's not like you got a little skinny little 40 or 41 out there. you got a mid-40s in there. So I can understand completely where you're going from the game statistically. And like you say, sometimes it goes against what the database has as far as situational occurrences go. But uh, I completely get what you're saying as far as this matchup goes. You take a look and you mentioned Brock Purdy and uh, all the success that San Francisco's had with him. And my tip of the hat goes to Kyle Shanahan for managing Brock Purdy. He put him into position to win, and he's doing just that. He's an intellectual kid, not a strong arm, not big physical stature size, but he's proven he's a winner. And that's the reason that they drafted him. They didn't draft – the reason they drafted him is because if they hadn't taken him with that – Last pick of the draft that made him Mr. Irrelevant, they would they would not have had a chance to sign him as a free agent out of college because all of the other teams knew of the value of Brock Purdy. They were going to swoop on him uh, just unbelievably, okay? So they knew what they were doing when they made him the last pick of the draft. They didn't want him to be exposed. He's only the second quarterback, second rookie quarterback to open up uh, the season 7-0, but more importantly, 
this is a stat that we're going to see whether or not he can break this trend. And he will be the fifth rookie quarterback to start in a championship game. The other four have all lost the football game. Uh, is it yielding to the pressure? Perhaps, probably. Uh, is it more a case of uh, the matchup where the opponent was the superior football team? That could well be. I think it's arguable in this game, who is the superior football team? In fact, it's arguable in both of these games, who is the superior team? And we've got a matchup of four very evenly matched football teams here. And as far as San Francisco is concerned, I'm sure they'll hang their hat on what I mentioned before about Kyle Shanahan. He's been in eight playoff games and he's brought home the bacon seven times. Talking about Philadelphia coming in here, the number one seed out of the NFC, those teams in championship round games, number one NFC seeds are 18 and eight straight up and 14, 11 and one to the spread. That goes back to 1990 when the current divisional format was revised and what we currently are playing with now with the teams in the divisions that they play in respectively. I think what Philadelphia really brings to this game is their defense. I know they're all up there. Everybody loves their offense. You know, how explosive they can be. Uh, I think they're number one or two in the league in explosive plays. San Francisco's defense, by the way, is number three against that. So that's another head to head clash, if you will. But they lead the league. Philadelphia does in uh, sacks, pressure rates, yards per play, yards per opponent passing attempt, tackles for a loss, opponents negative gains, a ton of kudos for the Philadelphia defense. They're everything and all of what a defense should be coming in here. And interestingly, uh, out of our newsletter this particular week, we noted that teams that are coming into a championship game off a divisional round game against a division opponent, Philadelphia is doing just that. They just blasted the New York Giants, their division opponent. They come into the championship game. Those teams are 12-4 and four straight up and against the spread. That's a pretty nice number supporting the Philadelphia Eagles in this football game. But I'm going to get to this point here, Victor, before we turn it over to the other game. And I talked a little bit earlier on in the show about the importance of rushing the football and what it means in games, especially to these teams that are here this year. This is a breakdown that I did out of our uh, midweek alert playbook football playoff newsletter this week. And if you take a look at how these teams have performed this year and whether, whether they won or lost a game, depending upon how many rushing yards they were either won the rushing yards or they've lost the rushing yards in the football game. You look at this uh, Philadelphia Eagles when they outrushed their opponent this year, they were 10 and 0 straight up and six and four to the spread. When they were beat in the rushing yards, they were five and three. All three of their losses came when they were outrushed and just three and five against the spread. Flip it over to the San Francisco 49er side of the game here. This is almost incredible. When they outrushed their opponent this year, they were 14 and one straight up and 12 and three against the spread. The three, or I should say the four times they failed to outrush their opponent, they were one and three straight up and against the spread. They're on an 11-game straight-up and 10-1-point spread streak in games in which they outrush their opponent. I'm going to tear these numbers down in our next segment here for Cincinnati and Kansas City, but it's something to keep an eye on here. If you outrush your opponent, you're going to win the football. Depends upon who you want to put your faith in in this particular football game. That's my take, Victor, on what I see about the good, the bad, and the ugly and their chances on these two football teams. What do you say we shift it over to the other game, which will be the prime time game, if you will. It's going to get all the love, uh, naturally so, and it should, but deservedly so. We're talking about the Cincinnati Bengals traveling to Kansas City, and what a marquee game this will be, Victor. How do you see this game shaking out from either a total or a proposition standpoint? 
You know, Mark, before we head over to the night game, there are two props that I am considering, individual player props, uh, in that Philadelphia-San Francisco game, uh, depending on your odds. Prop number one is, uh, and this one has pretty pretty much been money in the bank when he's healthy, and that is the fact that you can wager on Jalen Hurts to score an anytime TD in the game, and it's underdog money. Uh, right now, it's anywhere from plus 120 to 130 for Jalen Hurts to score an anytime TD in the game. Uh, we've pretty much banked on that all season long. He has scored in six of his last eight games. He needs only one more rushing TD to break Cam Newton's single season record, including the playoffs. So that's what we're definitely going to consider. If you get a, if you bet 100 bucks on that prop. You're going to get back your hundred dollars plus the one twenty to one thirty underdog money. That's not bad money at all when Jalen Hurts finds the end zone this particular week. Uh, one more in that game that uh, you know tight end Dallas Goddard for the Eagles has been very very consistent as of late as uh, as well. Uh, five or more receptions and fifty plus receiving yards in three straight playoff games. He's one game shy of the Eagles' tight end playoff record that is set by Zach Ertz. So uh, consider Dallas Goddard either over in uh, receptions or over in total receiving yards as a potential uh, prop play in this particular game as well, Mark. And uh, with that said, let's head to the night game. Now, of course, uh, of the two games, this uh, Kansas City game may be more weather impacted than the Philadelphia game. Uh, are we going to have much in the terms of uh, wind or snow or precipitation? No, not too much. We're going to be somewhere in the low 20s. Uh, winds anywhere in the 8 to 12 miles per hour. But again, of the two games, this one will probably be uh, slightly more weather impacted. Uh, from my numbers in the database, Mark, the AFC Championship, last 11 games, there's been four over six unders one tie, a few less points per game compared to the NFC equivalent of 49.6 last 11 AFC championship games. Again, we'll use our line this week of 46 to 46 and a half as our kind of our base number in this particular game. Of course, uh, you know what each team comes in on the season. Cincinnati was a better under than an over team. They've gone 7, 10, and 1 over under in their games thus far. Uh, Even Kansas City had more unders than over. They've played 18 games, eight overs, 10 unders. Kansas City was a very good over team on the season, but they are one of the league's better under teams at home. And of course, they'll be facing Cincinnati at home uh, in this particular week, Mark. Um, A couple of the props that we're potentially looking at this game before I throw it back to you. Let me get my prop sheet here. Uh, there's two of them that I like a lot in this particular game. Number one is, and this one kind of makes sense with the Mahomes ankle injury. One could very, very easily see Kansas City running the ball a few more times than they normally do. So we're going to make a nice wager on Isaiah Pacheco, the rookie running back, to go over 11 and a half rushing attempts in this particular game. Uh, We got him pegged for somewhere in the area of about 14 to 16 rushing attempts. So we're getting some value at the current line of 11 and a half. In fact, in the second half of the year, 
Pacheco has averaged 15.4 rushing attempts per game in the non-division play. And again, that's in the uh, second half of the season. He's coming off that really good game last week against the Jaguars in which he rushed for eight yards a carry, had 95 rushing yards. And, of course, uh, he was paramount in that big win against Jacksonville again when uh, uh, Mahomes got hurt with the ankle injury, they did start running the ball a little bit more. So that is a definite solid overplay that we'll be making this particular week. Another one that we want to consider is, hey, Travis Kelsey, man, over 76 and a half receiving yards. He's averaging 79 on the season. Not only that, but in his playoff games, Travis Kelsey is averaging 97 Ooh. receiving yards per game. And who else would you want as a nice little safety valve receiver when your ankle's injured and you can't throw on the run? It's your tight end guy, Travis Kelsey. So take a look at all Travis Kelsey over the total receiving yard props this particular week. And one more game in which we're going to be going under the total, and some might say surprisingly, is we're going to play Joe Burrow under his passing yards. He's at, uh, The line is 275 right now for Joe Burrow, and we'll be playing him to go under the total. The last five quarterbacks, Mark, to face the Chiefs all went under their passing games prop, including eight of the last nine. Let's see here. Last week, Trevor Lawrence, the OU line was 246 and a half. He threw for 217. Against Jared Stidham, the OU line was 226 and a half. He passed for 219 against Russell Wilson. His OU line against the Chiefs was 236. He passed for 222 against Geno Smith. It was 256. He passed for 215. And finally, against Davis Mills back in December, it was 185 and a half. He threw for only 121. That's right. Kansas City got a pretty good passing defense. We saw Joe Mixon and Cincinnati's rushing game go off last week. They could very well do it again. So, Mark, here's another prop to look at in regards to this game, and it's going to be Joe Burrow under his 274. So I got three props that really got me licking my chops in regards to this game. Of the two, we're leaning very slightly right now on AFC under, NFC over. We've got a few more days of work to go on, but I like those props a lot better, Mark. I'm sure you've got some uh, ATS some straight up, some favorites, some underdog numbers that I'd love to hear from you. I've got some good, some bad, and the uglies, Victor. And Victor's propping it up, if you will, in that Cincinnati-Kansas City football game. So pay attention out there, guys. Uh, taking a look at this matchup here, and, you know, this has got the makeup, Victor, of a Super Bowl game. Uh, so, too, does the other game, uh, unquestionably. This is just the National Football League got what they wanted this weekend. I know Buffalo's not here, but Buffalo sort of tailed off in the end. And these football teams have come on in the end. So I think the NFL got their four best teams playing this particular weekend. And the Cincinnati Bengals, they're the only team in the National Football League in history that's won 25 or more games in a two-year span after losing 25 or more games in the previous two-year span. What a turnaround for this football team. What's it all about? You know what it's all about. It's all about Joe Burrow, okay, and uh, Jamar Chase <laughs> and everything that's going on at Cincinnati these days. They've really, really put the jets on here. And Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Burrow's 3-0 and straight up into the number. He's got his number uh, thus far in their three meetings. Incredibly, 
this run that Cincinnati is on here right now in this run, Joe Burrow in his last 17 non-division games has won 15 of those games on the scoreboard and is 16-1 and against the spread. He's ripping up non-division opponents coming into this particular contest. He's also terrific in his career in all starts, 32-16 and 20-5. And 20 wins, 5 losses in his last 25 games against the spread. You talk about hot. This guy is the epitome of hot. Head coach from Cincinnati, Zach Taylor. He's 5-1 and one straight up and against the spread in the playoffs. But you know, Victor, I know the world knows that those numbers all came with Joe Burrow. Okay, so I only brought through Zach Taylor in there because I didn't want to Make this a, a, a Joe Burrow fest, <laughs> <laughs> if you will. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, thus far this football season here, they've gone up against seven other playoff teams, five and two straight up and against the spread, but only two and five in the stats for a negative 243 yards. Now, they were one and five going to that Buffalo game, and they ripped that to shreds last week. So which Cincinnati football team are we going to get in this particular playoff matchup? The one that played poorly all season long in these games or the one that played last week? That remains to be seen. For the Kansas City Chiefs, we know it's all about Patrick Mahomes. We know it's all about that ankle and how how effective he's going to be on that ankle. One thing I do know, he wants to play this game more than anything else in the world. Okay. They had, he had a join on the sidelines with Andy Reid who won him out of the game last week. He would have nothing to do with it. He's going through walkthroughs and practice as we're speaking here right now. I'm sure that they'll have him all numbed up. He won't feel any pain in the football game. The question is, how mobile will Patrick Mahomes be in this football contest? I do know this. Patrick Mahomes in his NFL career at home from December on out, he's 20-3. and three. In his 23 games that he's played straight up, he's also 9-1 and one to the spread as a dog is Patrick Mahomes, only one point spread loss, taking points. Andy Reid, this is to me, I think this is as meaningful as any stat there is out there. It might not be as glamorous a stat, but it's meaningful. This is triple revenge for Andy Reid. I call it triple revenge exact. Exact means no more than three uh, or just exactly three. So he's taken it three losses in a row against this opponent here today. Andy Reid in his career, when he plays what we call in our database Y3, yes, three revenge exact. Andy Reid has been in 23 of those games. He's 15-8 and eight straight up and 16-7 and seven against the spread, meaning that he does not want to let that streak perpetuate into dominance. And that's what Andy Reid is all about. Negative thing here for the Chiefs might be the fact that the conference championship round home dogs, they're only 4-5 and five straight up and against the spread since 1990. Not as good as what you find in the wild card rounds or perhaps even in the divisional rounds. So it sort of separates here in this conference championship round. And I'm going to uh, close it out here with this, Victor, here. I talked before about if you win the rushing yards, what happens? Well, this is the scorecard for Cincinnati and Kansas City this year in games in which they've outrushed their opponent and in which they've been outrushed. Take a look at the Cincinnati Bengals. Seven times they've outrushed their opponent this year. They've gone 6-1 and one straight up and against the spread when they've done just that. When they have not outrushed their opponent, they're eight and three, which is a pretty strong number for being outrushed in a football game, and seven and four against the spread. But three of their four losses came when they were outrushed. Kansas City this year, a perfect nine and zero oh, straight up and six and three to the spread when they win the rushing totals, and when they get outstanded, five and three straight up and one and seven against the spread. All three of Kansas City's losses this year came when they were outrushed in the football game. 
I'm going to close it out on this note here, Victor, here, and mention this, a little bit of a teaser about this week's football newsletter, because in the write-up of one of these two football games is a stat. It's a mind-blowing stat. It's gone 20 and 1 straight up and against the spread in conference championship games, and it applies in one of these football games. Check it out in the playbook. I'm going to do a victor here. I got you. There you go. There you go. I'm doing it with you. There's the color one. You got the color version. Cool. Yeah. Check it out in this week's newsletter to find out what that 20 and 1 straight up in ATS stat is in one of these championship games. That was a pretty nice little review, Victor, for not uh, not going into the games, but a nice spin around the block, if you will. Mark, can I add one more thing? Sure. Uh, something that should be mentioned because the line has moved in this game. Yeah. Kansas City opened up as a favorite. It went as high as Cincinnati, minus two and a half. It's coming back down again as we speak. Uh, Cincinnati's favored by one point in this particular game. I wouldn't be surprised if the game went to pick them on Sunday. I mean, it just seems kind of likely. But with that said, Mark, this would be the first time in Mahomes' career that he opens as a favorite and closes as an underdog. Uh, nine playoff games in the last 20 years saw one team open as a favorite and close as an underdog. That team has gone 6-3 and three ATS in that uh nine playoff game period, including five and one straight up in ATS dating all the way back to 2010. So based on that trend, you would lean on Kansas City. Again, they're only plus one right now, Mark. I would not be surprised if this game legitimately went to pick them by the time we got the kickoff. I think if the odds makers had their druthers, Victor, they'd open this game pick. They'd have sat on pick. Right. They'd have pick until the game played because they knew there was going to be variance because of the ankle situation. It's going to go up. It's going to go down like the stock market. But like you say, the best number will be pick when they play this football game and they'll see they'll let their chips fall exactly where they are. They could. This could be it. The books are going to be wide open in this football game. They could get blown out of their woods. Yes. This, game, this game falls one or two points, but we'll see it. We just hope you and I and the rest of the football world that it is indeed what it looks to be one of the most promising, exciting football games on tap this season in the National Football League. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And with that, it's time we hop out to Las Vegas to get the Vegas vibe from our good friend Andy Isco to find out what's going on in Vegas championship weekend. Andy, how's everything doing for you this National Football League Championship Week? Mark, Victor, everything is uh, going very nicely. And uh, you said at the top of the show, I think Victor mentioned that only three games remaining. In fact, uh, this past Monday night, I had withdrawal because it was the first <laughs> Monday night since right. I think August that we didn't have a Monday night game. I didn't didn't know what to do. I ended up watching some college basketball, which was fine, but it wasn't quite the same as watching uh, NL NFL games. So I'm looking forward to the two games this Sunday. And then, of course, two weeks after that, uh, uh, the uh, uh, Super Bowl 57. In fact, uh, I want to touch something before we continue that Victor had talked about with the overs and unders and the uh, the threes. Now, if I uh, if I recall correctly, these officiating crews are the same throughout the year. They don't uh, they don't rotate uh, other than if uh, someone's out for an injury or an illness or something. So the referee is really when you talk about the referee stats, you're really talking about the, the stats for the entire crew. And of course, with the, what, seven, eight officials, they each have their areas of responsibility for what they look for and what they call. Obviously, you can't just have one or two officials see everything on the field. So here's, here's my project for, uh, uh, for Victor in the off season. 
Uh, you may not like me for this, but I think it could it could prove very interesting. And that is a breakdown between penalties called against the offense, which you would think would tend to decrease scoring because the offense is either losing yardage or giving up a gain that they would have had in a game that the penalty was accepted by the defense. And conversely, defensive penalties, I would think, would, uh, uh, would tend to increase scoring because you're putting the offense in better position to move further down the field. So I don't know if I've ever seen a breakdown. I've looked for it on occasion, haven't really found it, but haven't done it in a number of years. But with all the technological ad- uh, advances that we have and information that's available out there, that might be something that could prove interesting in handicapping NFL games from a, uh, from a totals perspective, regardless of the teams that are playing. I mean, obviously, if you call uh, a, 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 a penalty against the Kansas City offense, that's going to have a, a bigger impact than if you call a penalty, say, on the uh, Chicago Bears offense, since there's a big difference between the two. So overall, in general, I would think that, that my hypothesis is penalties against the offense result in lower scores and penalties against the defense result in higher scores. And are there any officiating crews that have a tendency more towards offensive versus defensive penalties? Well, I could tell you right now, Andy, Victor's rolling his sleeves up thinking about that. <laughs> and we'll see whether or not it can be found that information. But if anybody can find it, Victor can. And if he does, we'll be talking about it next football season. I can assure you that. But that's a really good hypothesis. And uh, it would be interesting to see. It's a little bit like uh, in our stat logs, how we rescore football games. Again, a little bit like the fielding uh, independent baseball pitcher numbers. You know, what their true number rating is minus errors uh, what, for what they, the way they actually pitch the game. So this would be a little bit more in that vein, if you will, in that sense, uh, taking these penalties into factor into the offense and the defense equations for those stats. But good information, Victor. I don't know if uh, it's going to keep you up at night thinking about that, but uh, we'll see whether or not Victor does come up with something in that regard. So- sorry, Victor. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be a nice, uh, a very very nice off season project. You know, when you look at an under ref or an over ref, a lot of those numbers are built into their stats. Uh, as an example, a very good under referee is going to have a much higher percentage of offensive holding penalties, and a very good over referee is going to have a higher percentage of uh, defensive penalties. Defensive holding penalties, defensive pass interference penalties. So, yeah, that will be a very good offseason. And uh, before I throw it back to Andy, guys, let me just throw out there. I didn't mention in the Kansas City-Cincinnati game that Ron Torbert will be the referee in that particular matchup as well. Also been a good under-referee in his career. He's gone 16-33-1, under the total. He's refereed one Chiefs and one Bengals playoff game. Both went under the KC 30-0 win when they played the Houston Texans. And then he also refereed last year's Super Bowl. The Rams-Bengals went under the total final score, 23-20. So Torbert will be the referee for uh, Cincinnati versus Kansas City as I throw it back to Andy. No, those are very interesting. And um, I could certainly make a case for uh, both of these, you know, looking at both of these games overall, this is an extremely competitive Super Bowl uh, field. Now, all, all four of these teams have recent uh, Super Bowl experience. You had Cincinnati losing last season 
uh, in uh, Super Bowl 56 to the Rams. Kansas City won Super Bowl 54, interestingly enough, against uh, uh, San Francisco. And then they lost the following season in Super Bowl 55 to Tampa Bay. Philadelphia uh, has the least amount of recent experience to the extent you've got to go back to the 2017 season when they uh, beat the Patriots in that Philly special wild uh, Super Bowl. And uh, San Francisco, as just mentioned, they lost to Kansas City uh, two years after that game. Uh, it's interesting when I look at both NFC teams who tend to be noted more for their defenses, but they also have solid and consistent offenses. In the AFC, both Cincinnati and Kansas City have outstanding offenses, and yet their defenses are a lot better than strongly is perceived. So uh, when you look at, for example, in the uh, in the uh, in the NFC, Philadelphia, San Francisco, it's strength against strength. It's the uh, offense of one against the defense of the other, and the uh, weaknesses are not really the weaknesses. They're just not as strong as the other side of the football in both of those uh, for both of those teams. So uh, this is also uh, assuming that the line does not go above three. This will be the third matchup between uh, or the third the third set of championship games in which the lines in both games were a field goal or less. So uh, it's only happened, I think, uh, twice since the year 2000 is what I went back to. So there's not much to glean from any uh, results there. Uh, I did notice, by the way, um, it depends where you uh, what sports book you use. For example, the Circa opened Kansas City up a one and a half point favorite over Cincinnati. The Westgate opened the game uh, pick them. Uh, now, when I uh, happened on Tuesday, I happened to be over at uh, uh, one of the uh, William Hill books, which is uh, one of the it's not nationwide as well, but very prevalent here in Las Vegas. And they actually for a brief period on Tuesday morning, the line went up from Cincinnati two and a half to Cincinnati three. I Ooh. believe someone had mentioned that there was a large six figure bet placed on um, uh, Cincinnati that caused the line to move up to three, but it was only there for about five minutes before uh, it came back down. And I would expect to see as the uh, uh, week goes on, uh, and the line the, the line actually has come back down to one, so we may not see it. And the line currently favoring Cincinnati by one seems to suggest that Mahomes is more likely than not to play. I think he's currently listed as probable in that game, but I'm saying with this line of of Cincinnati one, they may be saying that it's maybe 60% that he won't and uh, 40% that he will, because we'll see it flip around if Cincinnati ends up being uh, uh, favored uh, in, in that game. Uh, if Mahomes does start, I would expect that Kansas City will end up being the slight favorite. You know, if you see if you see these teams as essentially being equal when when at full strength. You figure Kansas City should be a three to four point home favorite. Factor in a little bit Kansas Cincinnati's recent success, and you can still make a case for Kansas City being a slight favorite. In the San Francisco Philadelphia game, uh, we had this game open up a lot of places. It opened with Philadelphia two. It went up to two and a half, where it sits as we do this podcast. I'm not sure that this one uh, won't get to three at some point with Philadelphia being the home uh, home team. And in fact. One of my analysis, my analysis of the Philadelphia San Francisco game is very interesting because of San Francisco's season. Not only did they have a lot of injuries at the start of the season, that ultimately when they got healthy and they got Christian McCaffrey, ended up resulting in them winning their 
last 12 games, including uh, the two in the playoffs. Uh, but uh, they also had to use three quarterbacks, Brock Purdy, who, of course, is the current quarterback uh, due to injury to Garoppolo and, and Trey Lance. Uh, he won his the, the five games he started at the end of the regular season, plus the uh, two games uh, uh, that they played in the, the, the playoffs against Seattle and, and Dallas. Those are a lot of positive factors for San Francisco. And then the one weakness that I see in San Francisco, and it can't totally be explained by their slow start to the season, is the quality of competition that they faced this year was amongst the weakest in the league and certainly amongst the playoff teams compared to the, comp- to the competition that Philadelphia uh, faced. And Philadelphia facing great competition would make sense, if not just for the fact that they play in the NFC East, where three of the four teams made it to the playoffs, and the fourth team, Washington, ended up 8-8-1. Eight, eight, and one. And compare that to uh, San- to the San Francisco division, where Seattle, 9-8 and eight to make the playoffs as a wild card. But then you had tremendous fall-off in both the Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Arizona's fall-off is especially interesting, considering they started 7-0 and in 20-21 and and ended up making the playoffs and were a quick exit to the uh, uh, division championship Rams. So that's a very, very intriguing game that probably has a lot of good reasons to support either side in that game, but also uh, you have to take into consideration the quality of competition and the fact that, I think Mark mentioned, Philadelphia led the league in sacks, 70 sacks. Not only is that an impressive number, it was 15 uh, sacks better than uh, the next best team, which was Kansas City at 55. That's a huge gap, a, a difference of uh, 15. That's basically a 20% difference between the number one and the number two teams. Of course, what uh, Mark also mentioned some stats about when teams uh, win the uh, rushing battle. Uh, Philadelphia's both of these teams have been, been very good rushing the football. San Francisco has been outstanding in uh, defending the run, as I noted last last week in their game against Dallas. They uh, 3.4 yards per carry. Uh, was one of the best. I think it was second only to Tennessee as far as what they allowed defensively. I think uh, 49ers, 78 yards per game, which is better than Philadelphia. Philadelphia's average. San Francisco is elite in that category. So, you know, you, you counterbalance all those factors. It's a very tough game to, 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 uh, to uh, focus on, as is the Cincinnati-Kansas City game because of the fact that both of these teams are even now. Uh, I, I don't know if Mark totally mentioned it, but the last three games between these teams, each decided by a field goal in uh, 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 two regular season meetings. And by the way, the regular season meeting, I believe, was in January. It was one of the last games of the regular season. So the, the Chiefs and, and Cincinnati met very close twice at the, at the end of the season. And then, of course, this year uh, they met uh, more in midseason. So when you look at that, both of these teams, you can, and the games, if you look at the game statistics, they were fairly close. I think in the turnover differential, Cincinnati was plus one in two of the three meetings. Zero. It was totally even in uh, in in the uh, third meeting. So that, uh, which I think was the middle meeting of the two, which would I think might have been the championship game last year. In any event, it's not as though one of those teams won or lost because of a huge differential in turnover. So you, know, you could make the case that uh, if everything was the same, that this game might end up going off at a pick'em, and after, as I say, going up to where it was two and a half and three points for five minutes that we've seen it come back down. And uh, that's what makes that 
any of the, any of the four Super Bowl combinations will be a very attractive matchup because of the competitiveness uh, between these uh, uh, these four teams. And I think, Mark, you may have pointed out, I think, in the newsletter that uh, the four teams are so closely priced in the current Super Bowl odds that uh, we're used to seeing like the I think Cincinnati last year uh, may have been something like eight to one entering the championship game against Kansas City. Now, I think uh, San Francisco is the long shot at plus like 310 or something along those lines. Yeah, four very evenly matched football teams, unquestionably, Andy. And uh, with regard to San Francisco's strength of schedule, the thing that pops in my mind is I think it was Bill Parcells, and I keep always saying it was Bill Parcells. <laughs> but anyway, uh, a coach said, you can only play who's in front of you. And, you know, be- because of the, uh, the neighborhood in which they live, uh, the strength of schedule for Philadelphia is stronger because the NFC East was stronger. The NFC West was weak. That's why the San Francisco strength of schedule is weak this year. So, you know, I don't really, uh, I, for people that want to take that measure and make that apply that to be a strength, uh, a Philadelphia strength against the uh, San Francisco weakness, I won't go that far. I'll just say you're, you can only play the teams that are in front of you. Andy, let me ask you this question here. Uh, Steve Crabb, our good friend from Dallas, Texas, we call him the Texas Tornado. And he, he keeps us abreast on what he's seeing moving wise. He's a very, very sharp player, and he's all about money moves and uh, doing the right thing, betting the right way. You know, uh, we, we publish his stuff on our website, uh, smart bet applications, not parlaying, not teasing, and doing all those good things. But anyway, Steve alluded to the fact the first uh, message I got from him this week was the, right away, here comes the public. Right away, the public bets Philadelphia and the public bets Cincinnati right out of the gate. Uh, do you see that in Vegas now? Uh, I know you mentioned that uh, it was as high as uh, two and a half now down to one. Are you seeing that at the, at the casinos there as well? Was that sharp money or was that public money that happened in Vegas? Well, I, I don't know that it was necessarily sharp money as much as it was uh, uh, huge amounts that moved the Cincinnati game up. See, the Cincinnati wagers are understandable. They beat the better opponent and beat them badly in beating Buffalo as opposed to Jacksonville, which had a much tougher time getting by Kansas City, rather having a much tougher time getting by Jacksonville. But I think the key in that game, why everybody was betting Cincinnati is and remains the uncertain status of uh, of Mahomes. You know. One thing I'll point out about that game is, and we see it in so many sports, when you lose a star player, the team rallies around the backup and gives a huge effort in that first game in which the backup, in this case, Chad Henney, uh, would get the start. And let's also remember that Chad Henney led the uh, uh, the Chiefs on that 98-yard touchdown drive when he first came in after replacing uh, Mahomes. And the other thing to keep in mind, especially in a situation like that, where uh, often a starter gets injured late in a game, in this situation, Henney will already be familiar with the game plan and practicing this week uh, in the event that he is a starter or has to see action. I mean, you know, Mahomes may start. He could get knocked out on the third series of the game or early in the third quarter. Henny will be a lot better prepared this week to uh, take over from Mahomes. But I think that factor is probably not what influenced the money coming in on Cincinnati early. It was the uh, uncertain status. Because remember, the initial thoughts were he may have a torn MCL or something with an M- with an MRI or something, or, or not the MCL, but the ankle sprain, the high ankle sprain would be a lot more severe. And then they came out on uh, Monday and said it wasn't quite as severe. And of course, they're going to talk it up. And certainly it's part of gamesmanship. Well, of course, he's going to play. He may not. 
but you want the opponent to really prepare for him and spend less time preparing on the backup whether he starts or in case he's needed. So I can understand Kansas City saying that. So I think the early money that came in on Kansas City was, uh, I'm sorry, that came in on Cincinnati was more anti-Kansas City money because of the uh, situation surrounding Mahomes, which we may not get any clarity until Thursday or Friday uh, when we see whether or not, and if he does, how long he practices uh, getting ready for the game. As far as San Francisco, Philadelphia, um, I'm guessing, that, and I don't have any knowledge of this, but I'm guessing that the uh, money came in on Philadelphia for two reasons. Number, well, three reasons. Number one, they're the number one seed. And number two, they've been, uh, you know, they were the last team to lose after starting 7-0, and and they've been the team that was likely to be the number one seed basically all season. Uh, the other factors, they are, they're playing at home, and they were laying under a field goal to, uh, uh, to San Francisco. But on the other hand, and we talked about the, uh, you know, Mark, you, you alluded to a good point about the, uh, the not using the strength of schedule as a factor. But you also balance that with the fact that regardless of who you played, San Francisco has this tremendous momentum coming into the championship game. Now, Philadelphia had all but but not technically wrapped up the number one seed until the final uh, game of the season. If they had lost and Minnesota had won, uh, or maybe maybe it was, uh, no, yeah, if they had lost and Dallas had won, uh, Dallas would have won the division because of uh, tiebreakers, okay? They would have ended up, uh, I think, both, uh, what, uh, 13 and 4, if I remember correctly. In any event, uh, the fact that uh, uh, Philadelphia lost only three games this year, two of those came at home, and they were in the latter part of the season. Uh, well, one was midseason. That first loss was at home to Washington, and then, of course, they lost later at home to uh, to New Orleans in a game in which they still were looking to sew up the division and or the number one seed. So uh, those are some of the negative factors for Philadelphia, but I don't necessarily know that those went into uh, determining how this line was going to open and how it was going to move. I think it's just the fact that you have a home team, they're the number one seed, yeah, they're playing the number two seed with great momentum, but they're still you know, playing at home, and the line is less than a field goal. You would say if indeed that these teams, uh, if, if indeed Philadelphia is less than a field goal, you're almost suggesting that on a neutral field, San Francisco would be the, uh, the favorite team. And maybe they do have the better roster, but it's hard to say they do have the better roster when you take a look at the key position, as well as Brock Purdy has played. He's a rookie. And number two... Jalen Hurts, his opponent, yeah, he seemed to be much healthier last week, but he adds a unique dimension to the game with his running ability. So you'd have to give Jalen Hurts the edge in his versatility and his uh, uh, his experience so that that would sort of neutralize a sentiment why you would make San Francisco a favorite on a neutral field. We're visiting with Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com, publisher of one of the finest football newsletters in the nation. And Andy, I don't know if you want to leave us with a complimentary play. There's only two games. I'm going to leave that up to you, Bud, or, or, or a comment, a, a, a thought before you go. But uh, whatever your passing thought is, I'd love to hear it. Well, as I say, it's difficult to make a convincing case for either team in this game, because uh, either, either team in either game, because there are so many reasons to support either teams. I mean, number one, I mentioned that these are the uh, four best teams playing their best football at the uh, at the uh, right time, and we see that by the fact that these lines are under a field goal. I'm going to go with Kansas City. I do like the fact that not only is it triple revenge, and you pointed out Andy Reid's 
remarkable record in that situation over the years. And I guess that goes back to Philadelphia as well as uh, with the Chiefs. But the fact that the, the Triple Revenge is for games that were very close, each decided by a field goal, the statistics very close. So it's almost like a coin flip. Now, you know, you would ask yourself, how difficult is it for two very evenly matched teams for one team to win four in a row? Well, if you said it before the first game, it'd be extremely difficult. But when you've already had the first three wins, it's not that difficult, but it's still a toss-up game because of the closeness of the first three games. I like what I've seen out of Kansas City. I actually have a futures ticket on Cincinnati, so in one sense, if they win, I'm in good position. But I'm going to take care of that with some moves on uh, some plays with Kansas City, as they did earlier when they they weren't quite the three-point favorite, but they were the uh, two-and-a-half, uh, three-point under, they were two-and-a-half-point under, so I was able to, to do something there. But I just think that considering the experience that uh, that Kansas City has, fifth straight AFC championship game, played at home against a rival with whom they are now familiar, I think the Chiefs end up winning this game and they're going to meet either San Francisco or Philadelphia for what would be a very interesting, intriguing. And I, we could see this Super Bowl betting handle in Nevada, I'm going to say. I'm not going to say around the nation because around the nation, it's so recent that they've had it in most most states but we've got a long history in nevada i think this game could set a betting record regardless of which of the four possible super bowl matchups occur andy isco going to side with the kansas city chiefs for his call on sunday's championship card and andy uh we'll visit again next week uh in the week in between i'd like to get some thoughts set up thoughts if you would of what you're seeing in vegas victor and i'll share some of those as well so i'm going to wish you nothing but the best of luck this weekend let's hope the ball bounces our way this week Thanks, Mark. And uh, I think next week will be a good time to just sort of give some overall thoughts on the game. There may be some props out to discuss, but the following week, the week before the Super Bowl, the props will have been out for about five or six days. They'll have been moved. We've seen what the sh- we'll see what the sharp money has done. There'll be a lot to discuss in that. It's, it's the, the, my favorite week of the year is the year be- is the week before the Super Bowl where I get to look at all those props and make some decisions and make some plays. So I wish you, Victor, all of the listeners and viewers, a lot of success and also a lot of entertainment and enjoyment this weekend. Well, thank you so much, Andy. Thanks, Eddie. Thank you. That was Andy Isco joining us from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas with another outstanding job with the Vegas vibe coming from Las Vegas. And with that, before I get to my complimentary play on the card this week, I want to turn over to our good friend Jim Feist from Las Vegas. Jim has some interesting commentary on betting teasers in the championship round. I think you'll be interested to hear what Jim has to say. Jim, take it away, if you will. Hello, Mark. Hello, guys. This is a little explanation of what optimal teasers are. Now, an optimal teaser is, and I'll give an example of what I played already. However, there's a little bit of a change, but I'll explain that as well. An optimal teaser is when you can move the line six, six and a half, seven points and cover some key numbers. For example... This week, Philadelphia is a two or two and a half point favorite. I like the dog plus eight and a half or nine. So I can still play that. There hasn't been a line move that has changed that. Now, an optimal teaser is in that case, I'm, I'm getting the two and a half plus I'm getting a three, I'm passing the four, the six, the seven, 
I'm going all the way up, up to eight and a half and nine. Now, the other side of this is with Mahomes being hurt, there has been a significant line move. The game opened Kansas City one and a half. I immediately played Cincinnati along with San Francisco and moved the number six, six and a half points. So I'm getting seven and a half or eight on that end of it. So I have two dogs getting significantly better numbers, covering optimal teaser numbers. Now, let's look at what another way to look at an optimal teaser. And these this isn't available because of what's going on with the lines this week. They're very close. For example, if you have a favorite and you like a favorite and they're laying seven, well, you don't want to lay the seven First of all, a lot of places, if a, a game wins in a teaser and it ties the number, you lose and you don't want to play in places like that. So if you have a favorite that's minus seven and you want to change the number down to say minus one or minus a half, you take a six or six and a half point teaser, you reduce the number from seven to minus a half or minus one. I would suggest taking it to the six to minus a half, especially if ties lose at your book. So that doesn't exist this week because we don't have any favorites in that price range. Let's see what happens in the Super Bowl. We might end up with something like that. I doubt it, but because these four teams are pretty close. But that's the optimal teaser issue. And a lot of people say, well, you should never play teasers. I disagree. Some of the biggest bettors I know um, have played them and they always look for the optimal teaser formula. This week, I like the teaser on the dogs. So it's not as big a deal as you would if you were playing the favorite, but it's still a big deal. That's a little education point. Anyway, let's have a good week. Let's win a lot of money. And we'll check in next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jim. Very interesting information on betting teasers, especially this time of the year. And if you want to follow Jim's selections, you can do so at playbookexperts.com. He's got complimentary plays on this weekend's championship round football card. Check it out, Jim Feist at playbookexperts.com. With that, I'm going to move over to my awesome angle of the week on the show this week. And we call our awesome angle this week 30 and out. And the way it works is this guy who want to play against any NFL team coming off a playoff win of 30 or more points if they're taking on an opponent that won and covered its previous game. Simply put, it's a return to the norm for these football teams. You get up high, you come back down the next week, especially when you take on a team that's playing some very good football. By fading these teams since 1990, we are 10-3 and three against the spread. That's a 77% point spread play against. This week we'll be playing against the Philadelphia Eagles on our 30-and-out awesome angle play on the football card this week. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to Victor King from King Creole Sports to see what Victor's got on tap this weekend. Victor, if you would, let us know exactly what you've got going this weekend. Sure can do, Mark. Give me about three or four minutes to run through some NBA over under numbers on the season. 
And I mentioned that for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, our service, our King Creole service, we've come out of the gate smoking with NBA over-unders. We're at 75% ATS for the season, 9-3 and three for our NBA over-unders. Uh, available at the playbooksports.com website. A good start. We got a good handle on these uh, totals plays. Not to mention, in fact, Mark, that, you know, we got another newsletter here. This is our NBA newsletter. We uh, put it out every Friday throughout the season. This is last week's issue, as you can see. And you can see those beautiful college best bets sweeping with a 6-0 and in the last two weeks. Nicely done. Again, check out that Playbook Basketball newsletter at the playbooksports.com website. Now, I touched on this very, very briefly last week, the fact that we are in an historic season in the NBA. Uh, Mark, we're at 228.2 combined points per game in the NBA. That is this season. And again, for comparison purposes, let's just go back to the 2011 NBA season when the average game in the NBA averaged 192.6. Here we are just 11 years later, and the average NBA game is at 228.2. That basically means that in the last 11 seasons in the NBA, points per game have gone up by 35.6 points per game. Now, again, there's not a lot of overs compared to unders this year. It's not a... Uh, a new thing. That's because the over-under lines makers have done a fantastic job. Overs have only gone 51% on the season. But with that said, we again are in an historic year as NBA games are currently at 228.2. Now, your best home over teams on the season, Milwaukee Bucks, 16-7, and 70% over the total for the Bucks. Detroit Pistons, 68% over. Sacramento Kings, a very good home over team, 64% over the total. And then a trio of teams at 14 and 8 over under at home this year. Oak City Thunder, Washington Wizards, Boston Celtics. Best home under teams on the season. By far the king of the under at home has been the LA Clippers. Four overs, 20 unders in their home games this season. The only other team in the NBA to go under the total at 67% or more this year, Charlotte uh, Hornets at 7 and 14 over under. Kind of surprising because Charlotte is one of the best over road teams on the season. And again, your best over teams on the road, the king of the over is the Golden State Warriors. 18, 4 and 2 over under on the season when Golden State is playing on the road. Two other very good over teams on the road, New Orleans Pelicans, 16 and 8, and San Antonio Spurs at 14 and 7. Those are your three teams who have gone over at a 67% or higher percentage on the year. And then finally, your best road under teams, Boston. Weird. Just like Charlotte. Great home over team. Bad road over team. Boston Celtics have gone 7 and 17 over under on the road this season. Sacramento, another case of extreme home and away splits. One of the best home over teams on the year, but one of the best road under teams. Sacramento Kings, 6 and 14 over under on the season. Those are the best in terms of NBA home and away over unders. And Mark, you know, 
one of the advantages that we have on working on the Playbook Basketball newsletter is the fact that we're always thinking five days ahead of time, eight days ahead of time, 10 days ahead of time, 14 days ahead of time. So it's given me a handle on working on the weekend's NBA over-under plays. And I got a list of four or five over-unders in the NBA that we'll be looking at this particular weekend. So for our podcast listeners, I'm going to start with tomorrow, Thursday, January 26th. We got good numbers on Cleveland and Houston to go under the total on Thursday evening. Moving on to Friday, January 27th, we got good numbers when Orlando comes down here to Miami and plays our Miami Heat on this particular game to go under the total, Orlando-Miami, on Friday night. On Saturday, there's an over that's got my attention, and it's the Sacramento Kings going on the road, taking on the Minnesota Timberwolves, a game in which we'll potentially look to go over the total. On Sunday, it's a light slate in the NBA mark with only four games scheduled, but there are two overs with very good possibilities. That's the non-conference game between the Indiana Pacers and the Memphis Grizzlies. We'll look at that game to go over the total. Why not? The series has gone a perfect 8-0 and to the over, an average of over 240 combined points per game when the Pacers paid the, uh, the Grizzlies. And there's a Sunday night game in which we got New Orleans going on the road, taking on Milwaukee. New Orleans, one of the best road over teams. Milwaukee, the best home over team on the season. We'll look for the Pelicans and the Bucks to go over the total in that Sunday night game. Uh, we'll move over to Monday, January the 30th. We got a good over potential in the non-conference game between Washington and San Antonio. And then finally, Mark, we'll take a look on Tuesday, January 31st, five days in the future, New Orleans on the road against Denver. There we've got some good numbers on that game potentially going under the total. So there you got it, about five or six over-under opinions in this weekend's NBA games. And again, Mark, don't forget our Playbook Basketball newsletter available at the playbooksports.com website in addition to our King Creole NBA over-under selections. And as far as whichever way you go this weekend in the NFL, Mark, best of luck to you and to all of our, our podcast listeners and watchers. I appreciate that, Victor. And do me a favor. Grab that <laughs> basketball newsletter, if you would, and show them the Kings over-under total page. Not only, uh, the, the NBA day-to-day -day trend page, okay? Sure will. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with that, Victor compiles this page, and it's worth the price of admission all by itself. He handicaps games each and every day on the card, power rates every team, and inside those uh, those trends on each and every day are overs and unders and sides. Like I say, it's worth the price of admission alone the Kings day-by-day -day NBA plays and ratings. So check it out all on the weekly basketball newsletter at playbooksports.com. Great job, Victor. I want to say that. Thanks. Okay, that was uh, that's going to put the wraps on this show here. Before we go, our, once again, a quick note, my friends at mybookie.ag. Once again, that thousand dollar welcome bonus and a free ten dollar casino chip. Just log on at mybookie.ag. Use the promo code playbook to get that free ten dollar casino chip and your thousand dollar welcome bonus. That's going to put the final wraps in this edition of Mark Lawrence. Against the spread, I'm going to thank our co-host Victor King from King Creole Sports and another great job this week. Our good friend Andy Esco joining us as he always does each and every week for the Vegas Vibe in Vegas. And until next week, 
This is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always to remember to bet with your head, not over it. And good luck as always.